The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The wellness community recently joined forces with Gilda's Club to become the Cancer Support Community, the largest provider of cancer support in the U.S. and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Uh, on today's show, which is being brought to you by Millennium, Morphotech, and Novartis Oncology, we are joined by two experts who are here to talk about the importance of cancer treatment decision-making, as well as a pilot program being offered by the Cancer Support Community uh, that helps empower patients who have uh, leukemia, lymphoma, multiple biloma, we call these, these blood cancers, to take on a more active role with their healthcare team when it comes to their treatment options. But before we begin, let's move to a segment we call Cancer in the News, which highlights the latest cancer headlines. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. Only one in a hundred women with symptoms typical of ovarian cancer, such as persistent bloating or pelvic pain, actually has the disease, researchers recently reported. Several medical societies recommend the use of these and other symptoms to detect ovarian cancer early before it spreads, but the new study found no evidence that symptoms could speed up detection. As with all cancers, doctors are searching for ways to diagnose this cancer earlier. However, this study suggests that it's going to be hard to move the diagnosis of ovarian cancer forward. The study involved some 800 women who had been treated for ovarian cancer. Researchers asked these women about the symptoms they had before their diagnosis and then compared their answers to those of a controlled group of more than 1,300 women without cancer. About 60 to 70 percent of the cancer patients had experienced symptoms almost daily for more than a few weeks during the year leading up to their diagnosis. The symptoms were most frequent in patients diagnosed with late-stage cancers, and the majority of the women only began experiencing symptoms a few months before their diagnosis. However, they estimate that 100 women with symptoms would need to be evaluated to detect one with ovarian cancer. Among women without ovarian cancer, only 6% had persistent symptoms, but because the disease is rare, chances are that women with symptoms don't have it. In the United States, ovarian cancer kills more than 14,000 women every year, according to the American Cancer Society, and experts estimate that about 1 in 2,500 American women has the disease without being aware of it. Still, women are advised against routine screening because the tests frequently turn up false positives and have been shown to trigger a large number of unnecessary surgeries. The current study argues for a cautious approach to the use of symptom patterns to trigger extensive medical evaluation for ovarian cancer. While doctors agree that women with persistent symptoms should see a physician, they should be aware that it is unlikely to be ovarian cancer. 
I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. It's no surprise that when someone is diagnosed with cancer, it's often followed by the question of how to treat the disease. Uh, patients often rely on the expertise of their healthcare team to come up with a treatment regimen, but what many patients don't realize is that they, too, possess important information and knowledge that doctors can use to determine a treatment plan. Today, we're here to talk about a groundbreaking program that the Cancer Support Community and the Education Network to Advance Cancer Clinical Trials are piloting. It's called Open to Options. This program helps support and educate blood cancer patients on how to work with their doctors to identify cancer treatment that best suits their needs. Uh, I'm here today with Kathleen Coyne. Kathleen is a clinical social worker and the program director at the Wellness Community of Philadelphia, which is one of three cancer support community affiliates that is piloting the Open to Options program. Thanks for being here, Kathleen. We are also joined by Dr. Jeff Belcora. Jeff is the Director of Decision Services at the University of California, San Francisco Breast Care Center. He's also Assistant Professor of Surgery in the Institute for Health Policy Studies at UCSF. Uh, Jeff is a systems engineer who develops, uh, implements, and evaluates patient education, decision support, and participation programs. Um, Jeff's programs have been implemented and evaluated in both academic and community settings, including within our own cancer support community affiliate network. In fact, it was one of Jeff's models that has become a vital component to our Open to Options program. Thanks, Jeff, uh, for being here. We've got a lot to cover on the show today, so we are going to jump right in. Uh, Kathleen, the uh, Education Network to Advance Cancer Clinical Trials, a nonprofit called ENACT, and our, our organization, the Cancer Support Community, have partnered together on the Open to Options program. Can you give us a brief overview of what that program is about? Sure. Open to Options is actually a pilot project for five years, um, and we are seeking to show how community-based education programs, outreach, and support can uh, address the informational needs of people with blood cancers and enhance access to care for everybody who has a blood cancer. Um, and there's really two component parts to the project. One is uh, geared towards healthcare professionals, educating them about treatment options, cancer clinical trials in particular, helping them to speak better to their own patients about information about clinical trials, as well as a question listing a tool that Jeff is going to talk more about that helps patients prepare for an upcoming doctor's appointment where they'll be making where they'll be making decisions about treatment. And Kathleen, you mentioned that this program is right now in a it's in a pilot phase and it's for patients with blood cancers. Can you tell our listeners first of all what what blood cancers are, and second of all, um, do we you know is it is it our thought that this this program would have relevance for people with all cancers, with breast cancer, with lung cancer, with colon cancer? Yes, absolutely. Uh, folks who have blood cancers would be people who have diagnoses such as non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, leukemias, multiple myelomas. Um, but actually, this program, we've learned, uh, um, can really be relevant for anybody that has a new or a newly recurrent cancer diagnosis and Great. is about to make a treatment decision. Okay, perfect. So that gives us, that sort of sets the groundwork. Uh, for what the Open to Options program is, and we're certainly going to talk about it in greater detail uh, on the show today. Um, Jeff, as I mentioned, so you created the model we used in the Open to Options uh, program. Tell us about the model that's being used in Open to Options, and what, what are the important features of this model? How is it helping patients? Sure. Well, the model is a uh, checklist called SCOPE, and that stands for Situation, Choices, Objectives, People, evaluation and decisions. 
And so, like any checklist, it's really a structured way that our uh, program facilitators, such as Kathleen and her colleagues, can walk people through brainstorming and developing a list of questions that they then write down together uh, and make sure that their doctor gets it ahead of time. Uh, because anybody who goes through a cancer diagnosis uh, is often thrown into some kind of shock, and it can be very beneficial to uh, sit down and talk through the issues, uh, through the emotions, but also through the information that's coming at you, and then get it written down. And um, and that's really, you know, like an aviation pilots use checklists so that they, you know, cover all the important issues. Uh, that's, that's the approach we're taking with uh, going to see your doctor as well. So, Jeff, tell us, about the, tell us about the model in a little more detail. You said it's called the SCOPED model, S-C-O-P-E-D. So walk us through in a little bit more detail. Tell us about each of those letters and each of those uh, yeah. components. Yeah, and, and the idea is that, um, you know, when you're, when you're diagnosed, you really want to get clear in your mind on what the situation is. That's the S. And, and what the key facts are about your diagnosis. Uh, so you may need to gather information and, um, and find help in, in finding credible information. Since we're talking about blood cancers, uh, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society has great uh, brochures and, and, and booklets uh, and online information. So, so that S is getting clear about the situation, but there's always going to be gaps in your understanding. So you write down the questions you have about your situation. And then you're ready to move on to the C, which is choices. And in the choices, you really want to develop some questions about what choices are available to you. Uh, and, um, and, and, and you want to probe your doctor about things like, you know, do I need to be um, uh, considering any additional tests before we go into treatment? That would be one type of choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, do I need to uh, consider a clinical trial? That would be another kind of choice. Um, what are the standard therapies that are offered? So you want to make sure you're probing your doctor to get the, the range of treatment options that you're interested in. So that's choices. And then, of course, objectives is an area where you're able to um, express your goals and your concerns. Uh, so your goals for treatment and your personal priorities around things like quality of life um, and what, what's going on in your life that you'd like to protect and keep do, doing. Um, so, so that takes you all the way through objectives. And then you get into the people where you, you need to discuss and, and ask questions if necessary. Uh, who's involved on the medical care team and what are their roles and responsibilities? And you also want to let your doctor know about the people on your support team and if there's family members or others that need to be um, kept abreast and kept involved or what their roles are going to be in supporting you through treatment and helping you finish treatment, whatever, whatever, whatever the issues might be. And you get into evaluation, and, and this is a written checklist as I'm going through it verbally now. It may sound a little bit long, but, but we, that's why we have it in writing. Mm-hmm, when you get mm-hmm. into evaluation, you're going to ask questions about how each of your choices affects each of your objectives. So if you had, um, really, if you had listed questions about three types of treatments and you had um, two personal priorities uh, around, you know, living as long as you can and having a high quality of life, well, that would mean that you really had six types of questions to ask. How does the first treatment affect the first objective? How does the second treatment affect the first objective? And so on and so forth. So it's a really just a way of being systematic about going through and making sure you're asking all the questions in that evaluation section. And finally, decision is where you're, you're, you may have questions at the end of all this about, you know, what does the doctor think is the best 
treatment, given your personal priorities and goals? What is their recommendation? What's their reasoning behind their recommendation? And then can they help you think through, are there any gaps or barriers to following through with the treatment? So, Jeff, we got just got a couple minutes until we go to our break, but um, no. sounds a little complicated. I know we're going to drill down on the show today, and we're going to break this down a little bit more. So just, uh, again, for folks who are listening and, and writing down some notes, SCOPED stands for Situation, Choices, Objectives, People, Evaluation, and Decision. Now let me ask you quickly, Jeff, um, if I get diagnosed with cancer, don't I just go to my doctor or an oncologist and don't they tell me what treatment's going to help fight my cancer and, and that's the end of the conversation? Yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of evidence, though, that being as informed and involved as you can be can really make a difference in your care. Uh, it can make a difference for a number of reasons. The first is that, you know, you have the biggest stake in the outcome. So as good as your oncologist or provider is, you know, they're not going to be living with the treatment and the outcome as you are. So you're going to bring a level of attention and concern to that that's really uh, important. And then the other thing is that... Um, you know, you want to be uh, able to uh, absorb the information that the doctor is going to give you. And sure, you can go into your doctor's office and they, they can, you know, fill you up with information, but you're going, to, you're going to be able to engage with that better if you've prepared in advance a list of questions and your doctor can actually be responsive to those questions. And, um, and, and so, Jeff, also, are, are, are we seeing more and more that, that patients are faced with treatment decisions where the doctor says, you know, you could have treatment A or you could have treatment B or you could enroll in a clinical trial, and, and, the, and the burden of that decision is suddenly put on the patient? I mean, is that the complexity of cancer that we're dealing with today? Yeah, I mean, the good news is that, uh, you know, science has progressed to the point in many areas where there are a number of options that are roughly equivalent in terms of survival, but where there are really a lot of trade-offs with respect to um, the quality of life. And that, that, that really depends on your personal priorities as a patient. For some people, you know, a lengthier treatment uh, that's a little less invasive makes sense for their life. For other people, they want to do something short and more aggressive, and they're willing to put up with sort of uh, shorter-term but more aggressive side effects. I'm just giving some examples, but, but really it depends on unique individuals and how they feel about things. So, so what do you mean by that when you, when you say unique individuals and how they feel about things? Well, you know... Uh, people feel really differently about the timing, the value, and the likelihood of the outcomes that can emerge from any treatment course. So, um, you know, in terms of, I, I try to give an example of timing that, that you might feel differently about having a treatment that is um, shorter versus longer. Uh, you might feel differently about actually a 10% chance of some side effect might register very high for a risk-averse person, right. um, but might, you know, might be pretty acceptable for someone who's, um, you know, who's willing to take on that kind of uh, level of risk. And then, to be, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so it, it, it really, um, yeah. uh, and, and then just the value of things, like for some people, um, a side effect that uh, interferes with uh, just the way they look is a really major factor in their life. I mean, I talked to, you know, someone who's a real estate agent, uh, their, their public presentation, the way they look, is really important to them, and they, they care right, a lot yeah. about that. Jeff, uh, we're, gonna someone, take, um, we're just going to take a quick break here um, on Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we will be right back. Thank you. Your life, your health, your network. 
This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Do you remember what life was like when you were young? Having the mobility and ability to play all day and then sleep through the night without needing coffee in the morning? For the majority of us, gone are those days. But they don't have to be. Transforming Health with Brad King will show you how you can awaken your youthful energy potential and live a disease-free life of abundant energy and vitality. Transforming Health is broadcast live every Wednesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. On today's show, we're talking about the Cancer Support Community's Open to Options program, which was created in partnership with the Education Network to advance cancer clinical trials. The program is for patients who have what we call blood cancers, so leukemia, lymphoma, multiple myeloma. I'm here today with Kathleen Coyne, who is Program Director of the Wellness Community of Philadelphia, which is one of the pilot sites running the Open to Options program, and also with Dr. Jeff Belcora, Director of Decision Services at the University of California, San Francisco Breast Care Center. Jeff created the scoped model we use for the one-on-one decision support uh, in the Open to Options program. Uh, Jeff, we we started to talk about uh, a little earlier ensuring that patients really have have confidence um, in their decision, that they feel like they have the tools and the information that they need and and, and have confidence in their their plan and in their their course of action. Um, I know we sometimes talk about something called decision regret. Can you tell us, Jeff, what what decision regret is and how that kind of ties in with the Open to Options program? Sure. I think um, one sense of decision regret is that, you know, if people look back later on a decision, you really want them to feel that they um, made the decision fully informed or as inf- informed as they could be and, and as involved as they wanted to be. 
Uh, it doesn't mean necessarily that, you know, they're not going to have uh, bad outcomes sometimes, but that, you know, you don't want them looking back feeling like, you know, I got kind of duped uh, by a lack of information or by some conflicting information, and I, I really should have, you know, looked harder at what I was doing, or I, maybe I could have been clearer about my priorities. Um, so that, that notion of regret is, is trying to prevent uh, the sense of, you know, I, there really was some avoidable uh, mistakes that I made or, or some um, uh, maybe I was too passive or, or not involved enough. So, so do we have any data or information at this point to show that this program and that this counseling helps reduce people's regret about their decision, Jeff? Yeah, and regret is kind of a tricky concept to measure. So I know that yeah. we measure anxiety uh, at the time of the decision and trying to show that the, we've shown that the, um, uh, the, the question listing process uh, itself reduces patient anxiety before they're going in to see uh, a surgeon or oncologist. Uh, and that's important because uh, it also improves their self-efficacy, which is their confidence that they're well-prepared. And that's been associated with, with better um, communication with the doctor yeah. uh, and, and also distress, that, that sense of, uh, you know, not being well. Um, so we, we've seen measure, measurable improvements. Um, regret, something we need to wait a little bit to, to uh, look back on. We want to talk to people and, and survey them maybe six months out yeah. or a year out and have them look back. Uh, but the early indications are that, uh, yeah, they feel um, less regret and, and that they were more informed and involved uh, in these decisions. Great, great. So, Kathleen, you're running the program there in Philadelphia, one of our important markets for this program. So tell us, who, how are folks getting trained? So who are the people who, who you're training there to, uh, to kind of run the counseling sessions? And then how do you get the word out about this to, um, to patients with blood cancers? Well, Kim, up until this point, um, I've been the person who's been trained in offering the scoped model to people with blood cancers, and we've been advertising that through our our patient calendar, through our website. Um, The um, Southeast Leukemia Lymphoma Society posts it on their website Mm -hmm. and puts a, a brochure in every new patient's packet that they reach, and of course, all of our area medical centers who are treating blood cancers are aware of the program and referring referring their patients. Um, actually, this past week, Jeff has trained um, uh, nine other members of our clinical staff who will be um, able to meet with, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but they'll be able to meet with anybody that has a new cancer diagnosis in the months to come and, and a further rollout of this particular program here in Philadelphia. So, Kathleen, when you sit down with patients and you go through this, this counseling um, with them. Do you tell tell us what that that's like for you as a professional? Do you see do you see world world changes in folks as they kind of learn more and figure out what you know? In some ways, we it, it's sort of like with cancer, we, you know that 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 old saying, you don't know what you don't know. Um, so it's really kind of delving into a whole new world and a whole new language. But are are you sort of seeing patients transformed by this by this process? Are you seeing them? feeling more confident and kind of getting a handle on what it means to be dealing with a cancer diagnosis? You know, Kim, I absolutely have. Uh, I mean, our research that we're collecting across all three sites is giving us good data about the fact that we are uh, reducing people's anxiety level or they're reducing it themselves, actually, by participating in this process. We're seeing that through our evaluation. But anecdotally, uh, from someone who's been meeting with 
with people with blood cancers, I mean, I can see the benefit immediately. At the end of the hour and a half, people will verbally say to me, oh, I feel much better. This was really helpful. I didn't realize I had this many questions. I feel like I'm more prepared for the visit now. This is really great. This is helpful. And um, even after they've been to the doctor's office, we're hearing back from a number of people who are saying this was really a helpful way for me to prepare for my visit. It was much more productive. My doctor looked at the questions with me. I feel like I have the answers I need right now. So it has been very favorable for, for me um, as the professional who's administering the, the model, but I think that we're getting great feedback from people who have participated in it thus far. And it really does go along with our mission, Kim, of helping people to become more patient active yep. um, through the wellness community by taking an active stance and preparing for those visits and having their questions down um, on paper so that they, you know, in a, in, a, in a neutral setting, before they get to the doctor's office for an hour and a half, they can just reflect and brainstorm on their questions and somebody's listening and writing them down in in their language, so that when they go to that visit, the question list that we produce or that we facilitate for them really has the questions in their own language. Um, and oftentimes, when you, by the time you get to the doctor's office, you have a semblance of the question in your head, but you can't remember where it originally came from, you know, or you may dismiss it because the doctor is speaking fastly and maybe you won't get to it, or he answers a question and then that takes you in a different direction, so you forget the original list of questions that was in your head. This really gives people an opportunity to prepare and be um, productive in those visits. Well, and we certainly know, Kathleen, that there's no medical appointment in America that's lasting an hour and a half. Right, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So the fact um, that folks have the chance to sit down with a trained professional counselor for an hour and a half. That's right. And as Jeff said, you know, our goal is to get these question lists into the hands of their doctors before the patient actually even gets to the visit so that they've had a chance to review them, review them and give some time and understand what their patient's goals are, what their questions are, so that the, the productivity is on the part of the physician as well as for the patient. Kathleen, is there a, is there a cost associated to the program, to the counseling sessions for the patients? There's no cost for people who are participating in this program, um, which is true of, every, of all the programs that we offer at the wellness community, no cost to, to the patients, to the participants. Hey, you know, Jeff, sometimes we, we hear, you know, in the news or we see that, that uh, I, I mean, you, we, we talk a lot about patients being empowered, right, and patients being educated, whether it's cancer or any other illness, and patients are doing, you know, their own research and they're getting on the Internet and they're getting all kinds of information. Um, how, are do how, do you, how are doctors responding to patients who come in after they've kind of gone through this scoped program and have gone through these counseling uh, sessions? Do you think doctors are going, oh, geez, here we go, it's another patient with a whole list of information and questions? Or do you, do you, you know, are we hearing from doctors that they actually think that this is a good thing and it's helping to make the visit move along and be more productive? Well, it's a great question, and we're about to tackle that in uh, some follow-up projects um, to really include feedback from the doctors uh, on the specific uh, Cancer Support Community Open Options Program. I can tell you that um, the reason we're so optimistic about this program is the evidence from past studies in other settings has really been that uh, physicians, uh, as long as they're included in the planning uh, and communication about this kind of program, really respond very well. Um, you know, I, I remember interviewing a medical oncologist who, who was participating in another setting, and uh, I was in his office, and he pointed to this huge pile of papers on his desk, and he said, look at what I have to deal with. And now, on top of that, I'm getting this list of questions from your program, and I was bracing myself for, you know, the worst, and he said, 
he, he took the other stuff and he, brought, he threw it off his desk. He said, that's all garbage. This is important. I can really use this. This is patient-centered. You know, it makes a difference in my care. It makes a difference in the, in the communication. So, so doctors have to put up with a lot of paperwork. We don't want to burden them with more paperwork, but it is really patient-centered, and it's really important. And, you know, sometimes doctors will complain that a patient comes in, you know, testing Internet positive, as they say, and, and you know, with... <laughs> You know, with lots of, of, you know, reams of information printed off the Internet, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, we're, we're actually uh, helping channel all that energy that a patient might have. Uh, a participant in one of Kathleen's programs can kind of bring that energy with reams of information. And through the checklist process, Kathleen is really going to winnow down into hone in on the key questions. And so we try to keep these to just a page of questions. You know, it's pretty digestible. It's typed up. It's word processed, I guess I should say. It's legible, you know. Um, I think it's it's got great prospects for for adoption by the medical community. Kathleen, you uh, we've only got about two minutes until we get to our break, but you used to work at a big cancer center, Kathleen. You have had a lot of interface with oncologists in your career. What's your take on how oncologists, how doctors would react to a patient who's come in um, with the materials being sent in advance, coming in having been through this uh, this counseling? Well, I think that there's a lot of respect for uh, patients who take the time, you know, to really thoughtfully prepare for a visit. Um, and um, I think the question list is organized, and I think it actually does make for a more productive visit in the end. Um, people are coming in with a, process, a word process sheet that's very organized. You know, they're typically the questions follow a certain order, and um, they can really help uh, enable a conversation to go more smoothly. Um, I, I, I think that it, it's, it works for everybody. Just quickly, Kathleen, do, is your sense is that, is that patients just need one session, or do we have instances where the patient does the session, they go back in with their doctor, and then that just unfolds a, a whole other host of questions on the part of the patient? Absolutely. There, what we are offering people is an opportunity to meet with us three times okay. you know, over the course of the decision-making process. I, uh, we have found most people have not need it more than one visit, but okay. that is certainly available to them. To them. Fantastic. Uh, on Frankly Speaking About Cancer today, we are talking uh, about the complexities of making uh, treatment decisions when you are diagnosed with cancer. We're talking about a program called Open to Options, which offers uh, a counseling session to cancer patients and their families when they are faced with a treatment decision to really help simplify the process and uh, make sure patients are educated and empowered about their diagnosis. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, 
a global network of education and hope. We some hard hitters. We some hard hitters. Hard hitting radio is a new kind of sports and entertainment show. Your hosts are NFL veterans Mark McMillan and co-host Byron Evans. It's an hour of hater-free radio every week. You'll hear interviews with top athletes, celebrities, coaches, and fans. It's humor, hits, and conversation. Hard hitting radio is on with McMillan and Evans. Listen Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Network. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Green Talk Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and I've been having a great conversation with Jeff Belcora and Kathleen Coyne. Kathleen is the Program Director uh, at the Wellness Community of Philadelphia. Dr. Jeff Belcora from UCSF. We've been talking about uh, the Cancer Support Community's partnership with the Education Network to Advance Cancer Clinical Trials. We've created a pilot program called Open to Options, which provides decision support to patients with uh, blood cancers. Uh, that includes leukemia, lymphoma, multiple myeloma. Uh, the program off- also offers training to primary care doctors um, and clinical trial staff about how to talk to patients about clinical trials. Uh, Jeff, what are some of the difficulties or obstacles that patients face when figuring out what the right questions are to ask their doctors? I mean, where do you even begin and how do you even begin to prioritize these issues? Yeah, that's the, the, the reason that the checklist really emerged was that, um, you know, people uh, with a diagnosis go into this kind of cognitive and emotional overload, and in some cases they have too much information coming at them, in some cases it's too little information, in some cases it's conflicting information. So it can be difficult for people to get traction. So what we did was we took, um, you know, a, 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 a framework from decision science that's really oriented around covering all the bases. On it. And really, this scope framework can be applied to any decision. Uh, and then we filled in the checklist with some um, specific prompts, as they're called, so that if you're, you know, if you're kind of uh, keep staying awake at night worrying about your cancer and your upcoming visit, uh, you're able to come in and talk to Kathleen, and she's got a, a kind of a, what would be called like a scaffolding to really help you um, get some traction with questions and be concrete and specific and cover the territory that, that you need to cover uh, based on prior research into, you know, question asking in, in medical areas. So for folks who are just joining us, we're talking about a model that, that uh, Dr. Jeff Alcora uh, at UCSF has developed called the SCOPED model, S-C-O-P-E-D, and that stands for Situation, 
choices, objectives, people, evaluation, uh, and decision. And as Jeff said, this is really a framework. If, you, if you're being confronted with a difficult uh, treatment decision in cancer, maybe you're being given a range of options by your doctor, uh, maybe the doctor's asking you if you might be interested in, in signing up for a clinical trial, uh, and you're pretty overwhelmed and confused and, and, and don't even really know where to begin, that through this Open to Options program, we've developed this framework, we've developed this checklist to help you kind of, you know, get ahead of the game, get educated and informed um, so, that, so that you feel good about the decision that you're making, uh, you know, as a patient and have the, have the confidence that it's going to be the right decision for you. Um, Jeff, so, so if we talk about, you know, patients, a patient's confidence, um, that we want the patient to feel confident in his or her own decision, what, what, what's the importance of a patient having that confidence? What does it mean in terms of the likelihood of, of uh, patients making a good choice for them? What does it mean in terms of the likelihood of them kind of seeking out support when and where it's needed through this process? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, you mentioned some of the complexities that, that people are faced with. And, you know, there's also powerful forces at work in the healthcare economy where, uh, you know, I, I, there's uh, pharmaceutical companies and, and other providers are really trying to tell you that their drugs can help save your life. Uh, there's other forces that are concerned about cost. And so, you know, for us, it's really about the confidence that, that a, a patient can work with their doctor and put aside some of these conflicts of interest that may be going on all around them and really focus in on what's right for them for the unique individual, for the patient, the person, and, and in the context of their whole life, not just the, the disease that they're, that they're dealing with. So confidence is associated, you know, that, that confidence to communicate with your physician and, and partner. Uh, that's a whole, there's a whole field now emerging called shared decision-making. And I, I think you're, you'll be happy to hear that the, that the uh, health reform bill has really put some um, uh, energy and funds and attention onto this notion of how do we promote more of this shared decision-making between doctors and patients so that we moved out of the old era of paternalism, you know, where a patient was pretty much supposed to follow the doctor's orders, uh, and we're moving into a more collaborative mode uh, where the patient can be involved. So some, of course, don't for some people, it's a burden to be involved in the decision-making. And I think doctors and other kinds of support uh, people, you know, need to be responsive to that as well. But most people, once they get past an initial shock, they can be informed and involved, and they want to be. So, um, so, so Jeff, you, you think that we're really seeing a, a, a shift um, in healthcare. And I mean, but aren't there aren't there some patients who just want the doctor to tell them what to do, and that's the end of it? That they don't they don't want all this. Yeah, you, I think you have to distinguish. You know, when that's born out of um, a temporary fight or flight instinct, you know, as kind of a fear and denial instinct, right. uh, versus when that's really how someone prefers to interact long term with with their doctors. I think, you know, and and physicians as well as other support people and providers, they know this. So if someone comes in and their first reaction is um, quite emotional and, and fearful, you want to give them a little time to adjust. Um, and then often, you know, they will say, um, 
well, I want you to make the decision, and a skilled physician or other provider will say, well, okay, I'm happy to make a recommendation and, and help you through that, but I do need some information from you. I, I need to understand uh, what your priorities are and how this is going to affect your life, and we, need, we do have some options, and you need to be involved. And then, you know, even patients who are kind of like you described uh, usually will, will participate just fine. What if I, as a patient, want to delegate some of this to, let's say, a spouse or to an adult child or to somebody else in my life where if I don't feel like I have the capacity to do this, can, can, can a caregiver be involved in helping with this process, Jeff? Yeah. You know, I do think that in the Open to Options program, um, we try to focus primarily on, you know, our client is really the patient who's going to be experiencing the treatment, et cetera. Right. Um, I, I think sometimes family dynamics actually can interfere with the focus and the attention on, on um, the patient. Of course, other times the family support is just totally critical. Right. That's why in the checklist there's this people section where you can work with the patient or with the client to really say, what are the roles and responsibilities you see and any questions you have about the people on the medical team, but also on your personal support team. And in some cases, you know, <clears throat> patients may want to say, I really want my daughter or my spouse um, to have a really active voice and right. to speak for me. And at other times, it actually can be an opportunity for them to say, you know, honey, <clears throat> I, I, I love that you come to the appointments and, and I'm happy to have you there providing emotional support. Um, but why don't we make sure my questions get addressed first and then you can have your say as well. So it, so it doesn't become a marriage counseling session. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Kathleen, I, I, I mean, on a practical side, having done that, having met with um, people who have blood cancer and having them bring a spouse or a care person with them, you know, my experience has been that, um, you know, it's, it's, also, it's helpful for the caregiver to ask a question, but it's also important for me as the counselor to go back and ask the person, is that your question? You right. know, do you have that question as well? And I think that actually that has worked quite nicely, you know, yeah. that it's, it's, it's a dialogue for the two of them, and ultimately we're able to get down the patient's questions first. Interesting. So, Kathleen, I know that one of the goals of the program is to um, reach out specifically to minority populations. Why, why is that an important component for the Open to Options program? Well, because I think we're learning a lot about disparities, um, health disparities in cancer. And we know that people who are poor, who don't have insurance, who are from an ethnic or racial minority group are more likely um, to receive treatment that may be not the current standard of care. We also know that um, um, those folks may not be offered a clinical trial. So it's our goal to really make this um, opportunity, this program available to everybody so that everybody can prepare themselves in the same way for an upcoming doctor's appointment. And that actually is a big piece of the professional education that we're doing as well, Kim. We're offering online education for primary care practices, especially those folks who are treating underserved populations, so that they can kind of dispel the myths and facts around cancer clinical trials, be more informed and better able to talk to their, their patients about them so that when they go to the oncologist, they'll know what they're asking for, they'll be able to encourage them, um, as well as providing information around cultural competency training and ways to recruit people people from underserved populations into cancer clinical trials with um, clinical trial investigators and their teams. So are you having success there, Kathleen, in Philadelphia, actually um, reaching out to minority populations with this program? Yes, I think across the board our data is um, about, um, I think we're reaching our goals in terms of how many minority folks we've been able to offer the uh, scope note to. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think, I, I think that we would like to continue to do more. I'm sorry, Jeff. 
No, no, that's okay. I think I think you know we 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 aimed to, uh, to involve about twenty percent of the participants uh, from uh, uh, minority um, populations, communities, and we're reaching that goal. And that that reflects what we feel is the need in the communities that we're serving. So it's um, it's appropriate. I mean, we're I think putting an appropriate amount of attention on that. Fantastic. I think we're getting a tremendous response also from the healthcare professionals who are electing to take workshops on how to improve their own practices their own practice so their that own they can recruit minority populations into their trials. Fantastic, fantastic. We're, this is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking today about uh, how to make a, a good, well-informed treatment decision when you're diagnosed with cancer. We're talking about a program called Open to Options. It's a treatment decision, decision counseling program that we're piloting at the Cancer Support Community. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Money. We love it, we hate it, and everything in between. You can be the master of your life and your own economics. Join Professor Laurie Lamantia each week for the program Making Peace with Money. Laurie will help you realize the power to create fulfillment in your life and shed new light on your money madness. You'll learn how to make peace with money and feel the joy and freedom renewed in your life. Making Peace with Money is broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We've been having a great discussion today uh, about the importance of patients receiving the right support to become empowered, educated, and really work with their healthcare team to determine the best uh, treatment plan for them. I'm here with Dr. Jeff Belcora. He created a model called the SCOPED model, which we're using in the Open to Options program. I also have Kathleen Coyne, who is a social worker program director at the Wellness Community of Philadelphia and one of three sites piloting the Open to Options program. Uh, So, Kathleen, we've talked a little bit on the show about how we've been piloting this program in three sites there in Philadelphia, in uh, Cincinnati, and in San Francisco. Right now, the pilot, uh, and I should mention that this program is, is, uh, is supported by a grant from the Centers for Disease Control, 
uh, in Atlanta. Um, and I know that right now we're running the program for patients with blood cancers. As we said, those are folks with uh, lymphoma, with leukemia, with multiple myeloma. But what, what are some of uh, your goals in terms of the future for uh, open to options? Do you envision the program expanding beyond blood cancers? Do you see, th- do you see this growing as something that would become part of your regular offerings there at the wellness community in Philadelphia? Yeah, um, we have really been uh, impressed with the data so far that we've collected about the evaluation of the study from the patients who have participated in it, and it has really spoken to us over the last couple of years about our interest and need to expand the program beyond those folks who have blood cancers. And so, um, at least here in Philadelphia, we have acquired a grant to expand the program to make it available to um, people with any kind of cancer at the time of diagnosis or at the time of recurrent uh disease. Um, And we are currently partnering with a local hospital cancer center to make the program available to um, all of their newly diagnosed patients. Um, And our hope is to evaluate that particular project over the next six months and then continue to assess the interest in the Philadelphia area to make the program available to other cancer centers as well, other hospitals. And I know, Kathleen, that there are, you know, in in particular, I mean, if you're diagnosed with, let's say, an early stage you know, breast cancer. The treatment's pretty standard for that, pretty straightforward with that. But we're hearing, you know, that, that we're hearing that this world of cancer is becoming increasingly complex for patients and that patients with, let's say, uh, ovarian cancer, patients with lung cancer, patients with prostate cancer are really being faced with a range of treatment options where, you know, the doctor, says, the doctor says, well, you can have this treatment or you can have this treatment or, you know, you're probably, uh, because you're advanced disease, you're going to have to have maybe two or three consecutive treatments. Um, so, you know, take some time to think about it and come on back in a week and let us know what you want to do. And the, right. the patient's sort of saying, are you kidding me? <laughs> and they don't have the tools that they need to even begin to think about that decision. Is that really what we're talking about here with this program? Absolutely. And I think today we also realize that folks um, are more and more likely to get a second opinion, you know, yeah. for a, di- a cancer diagnosis. And so yeah. the possibility is, is that they're offered even different options, you know, depending on another facility or another healthcare system. And so that increases the number of options perhaps that people have to look at. And yes, this is a way to help people make sense of all of that, um, to put their questions, to write them down, um, to, to raise questions with their physicians. So as we've talked before, they can have the, they can make the decisions that are right for them. Gosh, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm hopeful, Kathleen, that we'll be able to offer this this counseling at all 50 of our centers um, across the country. We'd even love, Jeff, are we even talking or thinking about how to make this available even online for people who might not have something like this in their backyard? Well, yeah, the cancer support community has been such a pioneer in, in both, you know, what I call the high-touch and the high-tech ways of delivering uh, support. So I, I absolutely think that um, uh, there will be ways to... Uh, to do a lot of person-to-person, you know, counseling that you all are so good at in, in the 50 physical locations or, or more when you count the satellites and things, um, but also to bring it online. You, 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 you've pioneered so much of what goes on with the online emotional support, and I think this is just another frontier getting to what we would call uh, decision support. Yeah. You know, um, I, you know I want, want to ask you both as we move towards the end of the show, I want to ask you both kind of what advice you know, you'd give to someone who's just been diagnosed with cancer. Um, you know, I have a friend who said, uh, told me his, his wife was diagnosed with uh, 
cancer, and he the, the way he described the experience was he said it, it was like going to the uh, ATM machine, and when it asks you what language you want, you push Spanish or Chinese by accident, <laughs> and then suddenly everything's happening in a whole other language. And he said, frankly, my wife being diagnosed with cancer, that's what it was like. He said, Ever, suddenly you're, you're just confronted with all this new language and this whole new world, and um, you just don't even know where to begin to, to, to think about how to take this on. So, Jeff, I'll ask you first, and then Kathleen, but what advice would you have for someone who's just been diagnosed with cancer? You know, where do they start and how do they even uh, think about some of the priorities um, that we've talked about today? Yeah, I, I think that um, my first advice would be uh, to just understand that it, it is going to be on some level a bit of a roller coaster ride, and you can't uh, let yourself get too high on the highs and too low on the lows but to take a really, uh, you know, an approach that this is going to be a project that you're going to manage and to bring any skills you have from your professional life or from your hobbies or interests, anytime you need to manage complexity, uh, that, uh, you know, to bring those skills to bear on this as a project. Even though it's more emotional, it can be more frightening. Uh, I have some online resources maybe I can mention briefly um, on my one of my websites, guidesmith.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a, a little article called Seven Steps to Survive in which I'm really trying to um, encourage people to take that orientation of being, as, as the cancer support community does, to be really active uh, and, and to step up to that if at all possible. Uh, and, and another website is just scopes.org where I lay out a few resources for using the scoped model. Um, so, you know, the, the orient yourself to being active and then, and then look for support. And the cancer support community is a terrific resource. There are other resources. Um, I look for reputable and credible uh, sources like the American Cancer Society. Uh, the, we talked about the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and ask for referrals to reputable places uh, online and elsewhere um, so that you can get help. And so the, the two sites, just so I have them here, it's guidesmith.org mm-hmm. and scoped.org. Yeah. Is that right? Okay, Jeff, that's great. Um, now, Kathleen, you've been in this business for more than a day or two. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not telling any secrets, but um, you worked as a social worker at a big cancer center. Uh, you now, now are the program director uh, at a community-based organization, the Wellness Community of Philadelphia, uh, which, uh, you know, Wellness Community of Philadelphia is a real leader in our network. We've got a research and training institute there in partnership with the wellness community, and you've been the program director leading the charge on, on direct services for cancer patients and their families and also on some of the research that we're doing, including this fantastic uh, pilot program. So, Kathleen, what, what, what's your advice that you would offer to someone who's just been diagnosed with cancer? What would you tell them? I think that it's impossible to hear the words that you have cancer um, without having had your breath taken away. And so what I've learned from my work here um, locally working in this community-based center for the last 10 years is that it's really helpful to connect with others who are going through the journey or have been there through the cancer experience. And it's a very emotional time, and it's important to be able to talk out loud to people who understand and who can and listen and be there for you. But beyond that, I, can, I, you know, I kind of agree with a lot of what Jeff has said. It's important to become informed, um, to get reputable information, 
information. Um, certainly, even with the Open to Options program, we send people information, publications from the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. But it's important to get some information and begin to digest some of the information as you move forward to make the decisions about treatment and to go on with the rest of your life. But no one can do this by themselves. It really involves a whole village of people to help one get through a cancer experience. And so I would say reach out. Reach out to people who have been there who understand and who can help you move forward. Yeah, you know, Kathleen, I mean, I just want to mention that, that, you know, in 2007, a report came out of the Institute of Medicine in Washington, part of the National Academies, um, pretty reputable organization. The report was called Cancer Care for the Whole Patient. The report says that, that if you are not getting support, if you are not getting education, if you are not getting counseling, you are not getting quality cancer care. It is not just about treating the, the disease or treating the tumor. It's really about treating the whole patient, and that's, that's right. what we're talking about today, this idea of patient-centered care and that you need to be educated and empowered and, and, and um, have an active role uh, in getting the support that you need. Um, I, I, I want to thank both of you for being on the show today and helping us to kind of educate and inform our listeners on this topic. I think this is a, I, I think for someone particularly who's listening today who's just been diagnosed, this is such a great starting point uh, for folks. If you want information about uh, the cancer support community and our open options program or any of our other educational support services, please call us at 888-793-9355. You can also visit our website at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Um, if you'd like more information about our partner on the project, the Education Network to Advance Cancer Clinical Trials, uh, you can visit their website, www.enact.org. Uh, you can also call them at 240-482-4730. Um, we've had a great show today. We actually would like to dedicate the show to everyone who's helped to make this uh, Open to Options program a reality. We want to thank the CDC for the grant, our partners in ACT. I want to thank uh, Jeff, uh, uh, our other members of our national team, Mitch Gallant and Joanne Bazaglo. I want to thank Kathleen and our uh, other pilot sites. We've got Philadelphia, Cincinnati, San Francisco. We've got a great team on this, and we're really empowering patients to play a more active role in their, uh, in their treatment decision-making. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tebaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. <music>